0: The Ziggler Show comes from the legacy of Zig Ziggler and brings together personal and professional growth, business success, and faith. Hi everyone, I'm Kevin Miller. In this show, hope wins. It's a special episode to me of The Ziggler Show because I bring you a masterful weaver of provocative stories that will move you. You'll experience excitement, anticipation, inspiration, and you'll likely cry and get angry, at least from his at least from his stories, maybe not from this show, but this guy has had readers send hate mail when his story so- took such a drastic turn and it's because they didn't stick to read the rest of it and the redemption and that is what makes him who he is today, Charles Martin. He's written 14 fiction books, two non-fiction books and has had one turned into a major motion picture, uh, The Mountain Between Us. You can go find it you know, on Amazon or wherever you watch your movies. And another's in the works right now for a movie. His story of going from full-time insurance agent to full-time author is just humbling inspiring, I think so many of you will just be thrilled to hear it. His insight into life, humanity, and faith is why I've got him on the show. That and the fact that I'm a fervent, fervent fan of his books. Uh, My whole family is now reading through all of his books. Just incredible stories that will entertain you at the highest level while also just hitting the chords of hope and life like nothing I've read before. If you love fiction, look no further. Uh, If you haven't read fiction in a while, I strongly encourage you to try one of Charles Martin's books. In this episode, you're going to hear a very in-depth and thoughtful conversation with a man who's devoted to changing the world one story at a time. You can find all his books at charlesmartinbooks.com or just type Charles Martin in Amazon or heck type it into any search engine. You're going to find him all over the place. So I'm going to let you know what else we have for you, share some great products and services, then bring Charles to you. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com/wonder.: Well, Charles, I, I adore a good story, uh, which is why you're here. Uh, I like something that makes me feel. Uh, Something that's redemptive is is what I enjoy the most. Uh, It's fine to be entertained, but I realize I I often don't remember those as much as the ones that move me. And you are now a top author on my list in that genre. And so I'm first going to take the opportunity to say thank you for inspiring my life. Um, I'm glad it could happen. I'm thankful that it does happen, too it's uh it's amazing and now my it's going through my whole family uh at the moment is is your books i have father's day i read one read one and said get me all the books nothing sells a book like word of mouth actually it's i think it's probably the only only thing that really sells a book you know or at least gets it in people's hands so thank you well we're doing that that's what, what this is about as well and uh you know the the power Actually, I love the quote that I found on your website by Patty Callahan Henry. Charles Martin understands the power of story and uses it to alter the souls and lives of both his characters and his readers. Looking at your trajectory as an author, which I don't know, I don't know the background. I don't know what got you in this. Did you find that you wanted to write and through that you could have this influence or did you realize I want to have an influence and this is a vehicle that fits me?
1: Boy, that's a good one. Um, let, me, let me back up a little, okay. because what, the thought of me being a writer with influence, never, like that was a long way from my mind. The thing that I was wrestling with was, how, how do I get this stuff that I'm dealing with on the inside? How do I get it out? Hmm. Like, I started writing, I'm 50 now. I started writing when I was 15. When I was 15, the, the thing that I was wrestling with is grades. Can I make grades good enough to satisfy my folks? I really wanted to play college football. Could I make grades good enough to go somewhere with, you know, athletics? Could I, could I play college ball? Would anybody have me? And then hormones. And I didn't know what to do with that soup. And I certainly didn't have the, the verbal skills to be able to say, hey, Kevin, here's what I'm dealing with. And we have a conversation. And so one night when I was about 15, I sat down and wrote a short story. The short story had nothing to do with what I just told you. It was simply a valve on the pressure cooker.
0: Huh.
1: And I learned that my, I'm hardwired to tell stories kind of out my fingers. Even today, sometimes when I'm speaking, you know, somebody will ask me a question or I'll, I'll just be thinking of kind of what's coming next. And there'll, there'll be this pregnant pause. And it, okay, it, Christy, it drives, it, Christy, kind of cringes whenever it happens because she doesn't know if I'm about to just crumble and flub it and not know what to say or like are there actually words coming next but I think my my mind is hardwired to tell stories out my fingers so even when I'm speaking my my words will leave my mind and travel out to the ends of my fingers and if they find no keyboard then they'll come back to my mouth so it's sort of a a little bit of a cyclical process or, a, or around your elbow to get to your thumb. But yeah. I, I, I picked up that writing thing when I was about 15, I did it all through high school. I did it all through college. The first time I ever wrote something that affected anyone outside of my family, cause family, while they matter, they don't matter. When it comes to your writing, yeah. you know, they're supposed to tell you it's good and they love you. Okay. But the first time I wrote something that really moved someone was my senior year in college. I was at Florida State trying to graduate, trying to figure out how Christy and I could get married. And I had one like one class left to go and it was a writing class. And I turned in my assignment. It was a story. It was the question was, write something that happened in the last week. I wrote something that happened in the last week. One of my relatives, that was real close to me, had passed away. He was instrumental in my life. I wrote that story, turned it in. When she handed back the papers, mine didn't have a grade on it. Everybody else had a grade and she was really liberal with the red marker. Mine had no marks, no grade. Only on the back of it, on the back page, it was as if somebody had taken their fingers and dipped them in water and then kind of splattered them on the page. And I thought, I'm not gonna graduate. Like, I really flubbed this. So I go see her after class and I'm like, I'll do anything. I'll write five stories, I'll do whatever you need. And she teared up. She said, Charles, you don't put grades on stories like those. was the first time i'd ever written in something that that moved someone emotively like i had been when i wrote it so that was kind of a marker for me and i held on to that for a long time i went through grad school christy and i got married I'm 27 years old at this point. I'm in the business world, which is not where I want to be, but I got to put food on the table. I was going to
0: ask, what were you getting degrees and graduates? I got got a a
1: master's in journalism and a Ph.D. in communication. And I thought, if I can't write, maybe I could teach somewhere. And and so when I graduated with all of that, I came back to Jacksonville. Nobody would hire me to teach. My brother-in-law had mercy on me and gave me a job in the insurance business. And while I need it, I'm not very good at selling it. But he was kind enough to give me a job. And in the meantime, I'm I find myself writing this manuscript. So at the age of 27, I I finished what I would call a book. And I give it to Christy. And she says, Honey, it's better than some of the stuff I've read in Barnes and Noble. And so from then for me, it was kind of the question, could I because up until then I was afraid. I mean, just brass tacks. I would walk in Barnes and Noble and I'd see all those huge faces on the wall and I would think, well, you know, those are the kind of people that write books that like whoever they are, that's just, you know, that you got to be them. And then one day it struck me, they weren't always them. You know, they used to be just a nobody like me. And I kind of got over that fear of, you know, what if it doesn't work out or whatever? And so I wrote this manuscript. That manuscript was rejected 86 times from publishers and agents all across the country. I still have all those letters in a folder
0: and a, and a file right over there. No, did you no agent? You were going straight to the publisher.
1: I was trying. Well, this is 1999. This is back when you know the Writer's Guide was something you bought in Barnes and Noble, and it, I, I was I was soliciting primarily agents, but also publishers who said they would select, um, accept unsolicited manuscripts. So anyway, long story, it was rejected 86 times, then through some neat things that like only the Lord can orchestrate. Another writer heard about me, invited me to lunch. He's, you know, sold umpteen million novels. Uh, He's, I think he's written 60 or 75 novels at this point. And he really wanted to know, are you a one book wonder? Or do you have a second book in you? Because a lot of people can write one book. Very few jump past that. And I was already halfway through, three quarters of the way through number two. While I'm sitting at lunch, he makes a phone call to some agents on the West Coast and says, hey, I've got somebody you ought to look at. And they both contacted me. And the next day they asked to represent me. So that's that's 1999. My question was never, how can I wield influence? My question was, I think the best way I can describe it is this. One of the things I picked up on in grad school, we studied John Milton. John Milton wrote an essay called Areopagitica. Our founding fathers used this essay to argue for our First Amendment rights. And in there, it's, I'm gonna butcher this, but in there, it says something like, on a field of open encounter, whoever, let truth and falsehood grapple. On a field of open encounter, whoever knew truth put to the worst. And it became something for me, like, okay, if truth and falsehood battle, maybe, like, can my stories compete with the best of this stuff out there? Like, you know, let's give it a shot. If it doesn't, okay, great. I'll go sell insurance, or I'll try and teach, or whatever. But I do think I have some stories. I have a hard drive full of them. I think maybe I could do this. So it wasn't so much about influence. It was about... I have this really deep desire, which I think the Lord poured in me, which was just this innate thing to tell stories. And I, I love the emotive arc, finding a character in a place that's broken and taking him through the course of the story to not broken. That's still what gets me out of bed. And I was hopeful that somebody would let me do that.
0: From, from 15, when you started writing to, you know, 27 or or so, when, uh, this, starts to come to fruition. Did you have testimony during that time to your efficacy at writing or did you as a reader just feel like, ah, oh, this, you know, holds water to some degree. So, and, and was that, that paper you turned into the teacher or, or was that the first outside
1: literally, testimony? Totally. Literally. That's the first time throughout all of this period, I'm submitting stories to all of the places that you're supposed to New Yorker. I, I, you name it—Saturday okay. Evening Post, whatever—I would submit stories. None of them were ever accepted. So the only thing I had to hold on to at this point was a teacher who cried over one of my stories, and it was like a authentic thing. It was also my sweet spot because it was a story in a voice that was first person, which I, which I obviously now, fifteen novels later, am pretty comfortable with.
0: With. The, the rejection, that book. Did that book come to fruition?
1: Yeah, that that manuscript uh, Christy and I sent out to over, you know, we did the whole packet with the cover letter where you're basically begging somebody to give you the time of day. And then I think we put like the first four or six chapters in there and sent them out. And then we also put a self-addressed stamped envelope in there because you hope to hear back from somebody, even if it's a rejection, you want to hear something. And we sent out over a hundred of those and I got 86 back of them before I had lunch with Davis, this, this other writer. And you know, uh, that Chris Farabee, my agent called me the following day or the guy that became my agent. And then three weeks later, we had a publishing contract with one of the houses that had previously rejected me Wow! and what's been kind of fun over the last now 22 years is to have conversations with folks that I've met just a few of them that sent me letters saying, thanks, but I don't think this is really going to work for us. And some of them have been kind of funny. Well,
0: and that's, so is that, which book is that? That's the dead don't dance. Okay. That's, that's that's what I was wondering if that was your first book. You know, I I told you that it just so happens that yesterday I had Andy Andrews on the show and his first manuscript, it was 50 sometimes, uh, that it was, and that was the, uh, the the traveler's gift that has gone on, yeah, and, and sold uh, so ridiculously. And he said, with all, uh, n- with 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 no no spite or anything, but he said it's just amazing that those publishers were they weren't just wrong; they, they were really, really wrong. We think about the publishers now, looking at that book. I don't know how many umpteen million
1: copies it sold, but like that was a really bad miss on their part. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's that's unreal. So full time when did this so you're doing insurance you're doing whatever when did the was that book i mean was there a book deal that was enough that get you go, get you rolling when did you finally say okay i'm i'm going to go after this authoring thing i'm going to settle here or try to
1: i had a in 1999 i was working with my brother-in-law his insurance agency had become very successful, not because of me, but because I helped him put legs on his promises. And he was really good at what he did. The company that we represented was bought by Allstate. That Allstate was then trying to merge the American Heritage Life, which is the company re- we represented, and trying to get all the all of the agents and everybody on the same language in terms of how they process, how they sell the products, all, and they needed somebody who could communicate to both sides. I had traveled the country with Tommy. I'd made hundreds of presentations and I knew the products and I knew the people in the home office and probably the letters behind my name helped me. And so they offered me, it was like this, I don't know, you remember the movie, the Tom Cruise movie, the firm. Yeah. Remember the scene where the Memphis firm brings him in and they sit him down and they put the envelope on the table and he sort of has to guess what the offer is and there's that that feeling in the room where vaguely yeah. they value him and they really want him and i had an experience similar to that they the folks brought me in top of the building the view outside stretched for miles and they offered me this job which was a an officer's position with a staff and you know a bonus and a huge salary.
0: And so even while you say that that wasn't your gig, your your sales isn't your thing, you obviously had some proficiency in it.
1: I, yeah, yes. I mean, I I could have done it. The problem was that my head would have been detached from the rest of me Yeah, and it would have been soul crushing. And and I'm not knocking folks that do that. And I'm thankful that, but it's just not, I'm not, it's not my heart's cry. To grow that business. And I, in the meantime, when they, when they're talking to me and they're telling me what the silver platter, they're going to lay out in front of me. My mind is literally thinking about the drawer in my desk where that manuscript is sitting. And I'm thinking to myself, if I take this job, Hmm. I don't know that I'll ever write another word because this is all consuming. This will own me for the next 30 years. I knew the culture. And so that was sort of a long weekend for Christy and I, where we Really wrestled with who do you want to be when you grow up, and in a really cool way, what happened on Sunday afternoon was Christy essentially gave me permission to chase this writer thing. I mean, it's in a, it's a priceless gift. I went back in Monday morning and I said, no, thank you. I resigned from Tommy's Tommy's office, my brother-in-law's office. I hugged him. I love you, but I got to go figure out. How, I got to go see if I can do this writer thing. Yeah that started about 18 months of some really like hard like we didn't have two nickels to rub together and i looked i looked like a total fool until i had lunch with davis got a publishing contract the book came out may 5th 2003 and 7 days later hallmark hall of fame productions called us to make it a made for tv movie they optioned it they never made it, but it gave me credibility with my publisher. It got me another contract. And more importantly, it gave me credibility with my father-in-law, and I really needed that. Wow. So that was sort of the launch that allowed me. Not That wasn't like all of a sudden the world is great. My first advance on that book was $10,000. So it's, you know, I mean, we got kids. We got, I mean, it's not, you know, we ain't hit easy street. So I I built decks. I built docks. I built cabinets. I had a pressure washer and a trailer that I pulled behind my <laughs> And I I just would do whatever people would pay me to do.
0: You are listening to The Ziggler Show in this episode with renowned fiction writer Charles Martin. Next, I ask him about the research he's got to do to write these in-depth stories about his characters and their lives and vocations and where they live and what what kind of house they live in and just these in-depth, detailed things. And he shares about learning things like mountaineering and doctoring on different levels and so much that he's had to become a relative expert in. Really intriguing. We'll get right back into it after I share some products and services I think will be relevant for you. Use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. How much, that, that's a great lead into my, I, I have not, I've, I've had uh, untold, well, you see the bookshelf behind me of people I've had on the, the show, never a pure fiction uh, Andy Andrews yesterday is probably the closest, uh, you know, to, to that. I mean, he is a, he is a, an author and writes fiction in a sense, but you as a, a true-blooded uh, fiction writer. And it's a curiosity to me. I am such a fan of fiction, just as I am of music. I am a huge connoisseur of music. I don't play it. Don't do anything. I just adore it. I've got friends in the music industry, uh, that write songs. I cannot fathom doing that. Uh, it's not my skills. I have, I have my other, I have other skills. So to what you do, though, to put a story together, you just mentioning that, that you built docs, you whatever, I'm reading, uh, when crickets cry right now. And that was, that was part of my question. So not because you have the storytelling, but the thing that's always been of interest to me that along with the story, the scope of the story, the journey that this is going to take, that's in your mind, that's, you know, that it's, it's going through as you're, uh, at all times of day and night, I'm sure you also have research to do to figure out how to fill in the qualities, roles of these characters. And I wondered how many, actually before that question, how much of yourself is in each book, is in the characters? How much of yourself slash and your personal experience? Well, that's changed.
1: I'm now 22 years in, 20 years published yeah, in 15 novels. So if you look at the Dead Don't Dance, Wrapped in Rain, maybe a little bit When Crickets Cry, those are my first three books. You'll see a character, especially in the Dead Don't Dance and in Maggie, which is my fourth, because the Maggie is sort of a sequel to the Dead Don't Dance. They have the same characters. My protagonist in that book is Dylan Stiles. And Dylan and I are real similar. I mean, I didn't know what else to write. I I didn't know how to create somebody else. I, I had a hard enough time figuring out me. So and also everybody, you know, a lot of the rejections I got rejected the fact that I wrote in first person. Well, I don't, I didn't really know how to write in third person. I mean, I can, but it emotively doesn't accomplish what I'm trying to accomplish, because in order for me to do what I'm hoping to do, you have to know what I'm thinking, not just what I'm saying. And, and you got to know how I respond to stuff. So first person was the only way I could do that. Probably there's there's much more. You know, you can you can mirror or you can look at my characters and say, it, you know, especially the people that know me. Yeah, I see a whole lot of Charles in, in in these first three or four books. As we get further from books four, five, whatever, my my rabbit's you know my my hat is out of tricks, and I I've kind of written me. So then I've got to just sort of start making stuff up, which was also freeing because it opened the doors of a lot of stuff that I got to go do that maybe i hadn't done before and let's just take the mountain between us as yep. an example i'm from the southeast i've spent a whole lot of time on the water both river or ocean uh, i know how to fish i've hunted a lot i've done a lot of backpacking east of the mississippi but i've never spent any time in the high uintas or the rockies or so after the success of where the river ends which was my first book to hit the times list I just had this idea for a story, and it took place in those mountains, and so I called my agent and a buddy, and I said, let's go rent snowmobiles and get lost for a week, and that's what we did, mm-hmm. and that led to me spending time with, with an orthopedic surgeon trying to figure out. My big question for that book was, if there's a plane crash in the middle of nowhere, and this lady breaks her femur, how long does she have before she's done? Yeah. And I called one of my buddies and I just said that exact thing to him. And he, even without blinking, he said, Well, did the bone break the skin? <laughs> I, said, I said, Dude, I don't know. You're the doctor. You help me figure it out. And he said, Well, if it doesn't break the skin, you have a sealed wound. You have more time. I said, Okay, then it did not break the skin. So the research has then kind of become part of, you know, it's been mandated by the story to some extent. That's been true with, You know, unwritten. Part of which takes place in France, where the river ends, takes place on a river here from Georgia to Florida, 130 miles long. A kayak, the whole thing.
0: So, that opened up the door of sort of, hey, let's let's go do this. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm reading when crickets cried. It sounds like there's a lot in that book that you had, you knew some of that. You knew some of the construction. You know the water. You knew some of those things already. So, I knew a lot of the carpentry aspects of that. fun, especially
1: kind of decking out his garage and getting to talk about all that that are in there. But I did not know the heart piece. And through just some neat relationships, I was introduced to some of the finest either transplant or heart surgeons in the country and got to spend time with them and stand in the OR, you know, scrub the whole thing behind the sheet and kind of stick my nose over. And when they crack somebody open and I mean, I I had some phenomenal experiences watching these people do what they do. So some of it I knew a lot of it I had to learn. Interestingly, though, with that book, I've had people email me a lot of them and say, where did you get your medical degree? Huh? Okay.
0: I'm a doctor, but I'm not that kind of doctor. Yeah. Yeah. You, You know, just to come back to your story, we talked about the story writing. Where was your faith along that way? Was that always a solid component that you knew you wanted to be investing in? Or was there a journey there? Of course there was a journey, but, you know, was that a solid rudder throughout the journey?
1: I, I've known Jesus, my, I, I sell folks this. It may not be a, you know, testimony but I grew up in a home where Jesus was and still is Lord of all. And he still is to this day in my house and in my heart. And so as I'm walking through this experience, my I'm on my face and my prayers are like, Lord, this thing makes me come alive. I love doing this. I feel like this. I feel like if I have a gift at anything, I, I do feel like you've put something in here. I'm not trying to make more of me or make it about me, but I do feel like there's something you've put here that communicates in a way that I, I don't see other people doing. And so here's my request. And it really did come down to this. I, I said, Lord, I, I would I would really love to be able to do this if you could if you could somehow make this happen. That is my heart's desire. But if it is not your desire for me, then will you please take this desire out of my chest? Because it's going to hurt. Yeah. If I have to live in this world where I'm doing something else and wanting to be this. So I'm giving it like I really I just I mean, Christy and I did. We set we really laid it down and laid it at the Lord's feet. That was probably the first time I had to lay down my Isaac where I gave him the where I, I gave the giving and the taking up to him, if yeah. that makes sense. Yep, And I just said, I, this is my heart's desire, but if it's not yours for me, then lead me where you want me. But would you, if you, if you don't lead me here, then please take this desire out of me. Cause it's going to be brutal being somebody else with this
0: dream. What is your, so talk to me about that. Uh, I had a friend many years ago who gave me a little cassette tape with three songs he had on it and I played it and was just blown away like, no, I, I, with the expectation of oh my gosh this is your destiny and at the time though he said I want it too much He's a Christian guy he says I want it too much I, I love the applause I know I do and so I'm not I'm not going to pursue it and we had a journey uh, from that point he went on to become um, very successful in the music Business, but to that, I mean, you know, how many there's people listening, there's thousands listening that'll listen to this show and hear that. And they have that desire, but they're questioning it they, because of self interest. Because of, well, just there, I'll just put that there that, that you know, especially from maybe the faith based brethren are even more troubled by this sometimes, the self-interest in something that their heart wants to do, but they think, no, I need to be responsible. That's something that I just want for me. How do I trust? So I'll put the question, that, that out there, to trust the desires of your heart.
1: We may need another podcast for that one, but let me try to give you the answer as succinctly as I can. We as people tend toward idolatry, very quickly. Mm-hmm. This is true in my experience. This is true biblically. This is, his, this is true historically. What was not important then and what is not important now is that you see my name on the New York Times list. I am grateful f- for when that happens. Please don't hear me the wrong way. But the thing that was important then and the thing that is important now and the thing that I'm praying will be important tomorrow is that my relationship with him is unfettered because that's more important than you having my book on that shelf behind your shoulder. I'm grateful that y'all read my stories. And I mean that I really do. It blesses me deeply. I love seeing the expression of my gifting affirmed and, and valued. And I love the fact that you would have me and we would talk about that and, and all of that. So I'm not downplaying any of that, but the thing that if I had to choose between him or this writing thing, I'm choosing him every day of the week and twice on Sunday, and I'll just let him figure out the writing thing somewhere down the road. And and I, I think as long as I stay in that place, I stay in a healthy place both with him and with my craft. Yeah. If that gets twisted, first, I have a wife who is really good at popping my bubble. So with, I have that boundary in line. But it never – it's not, it's not a – it's not a good thing when i increase and he decreases it's much better if i decrease and, and he increases
0: on that same in that same vein with the characters in your book and i'm only on the third non-fiction i'm working my way through uh crickets right now so i did i started off on long uh shoot what was the Long, long way, gone. long way gone. Yeah. Which my, my dear friend, my, my host and my other podcast, the, the true life podcast, who is a, he's a doctor, he's an MD, uh, Randy James, he got me reading fiction again. I just didn't for so long. He kept talking about it at night. And so I started doing that and it started, I started looking forward to going to bed, get me to go to bed earlier, but I wanted something good. So he get, he gave me that book. He got it. I think his wife gave it to him. I didn't know anything about it. Didn't know anything about you, just nothing read the thing. And you start off in Leadville, yep. which we ski there a lot. My daughter is there. She wears a Mellie. Uh, so you got me right off the bat there. And then you go to Nashville. That's where we spent a decade before coming out here in the music industry and all that. And you're, you know, enmeshed wow. in that. And then you come back out to Buena Vista, which we're at constantly. And uh, I love, you know, so you got me there. And uh, the other books I'm, I'm starting, I'm going to work through all of them work through. I'm going to enjoy myself through all of them. (laughs) Uh, And there's none of them on my bookshelf because they're all at my house being read by my, by my family. But in those you have, or or the three I'm in now, you have, we have strong characters, male and female, um, you know, for the most part, but the male ones, of course, that's what I uh, tune into more as a guy. With the characters in there, do you find yourself Or maybe to what degrees to with the values that they showcase, that these are values that you have to some degree and you want to impart like to your sons, to the to the audience. And also, are there some in there that you are striving to emulate and aspire to? If I look at those characters, where would you say you fall generally?
1: I'm striving to emulate a lot of them because a lot of them are a lot better than me in a lot of ways. If you look at the spectrum of my characters, though, I am I, not—I don't necessarily sit down with a, a values agenda. I know you didn't, but just let me finish this. Yeah. I don't necessarily sit down with a values agenda and say, hey, here's what I want my reader to come away with, or here's what they need to know, or here's what they need to believe, or whatever it's. That thought has never crossed my mind. I've published over 2 million words now, and that that one doesn't enter the equation. I go back to what I said a a little bit ago. The thing that gets me up out of bed in the morning is this idea that I have a character who's broken. I believe that that process or that arc or that story from broken to not is really worth writing about and the reason it's worth writing about is because hope wins Mm -hmm. and we live in a hopeless culture which wakes up every day and says hey here's your dish of hopelessness eat it sorry if you're not satisfied see you later that i i react very strongly negatively to that so if i can somehow craft or write characters that while they are very much broken and fallen, and do walk with a limp, and the thing is not wrapped up in some neat little bow at every turn, but that w- the, where the reader is left with something hopeful, then I feel like, then I feel like I've communicated at least what, what is on my heart to try and communicate. I mean, I've had a lot of folks ask me, summarize your books in one sentence. Hope wins, period, end of story. Does that mean everything is always fixed? Nice little neat bow? No. Um, I've, I have some broken characters. Unwritten is about a um, water from my heart is about a guy that is really good at dealing drugs. I've never dealt drugs my entire life, but I've got to know some people who did and talk to them and figured out what their life was like. And I don't know. I just think that process, if, if, if Let me give you, let me, let me side, let me parallel that with my prayer, okay? Because maybe my prayer answers your question, maybe better. When I was in grad school, one of the things I I tapped into was, was uh, C.S. Lewis and, and Walker Percy, those two folks. And Percy said something that I latched a hold of. He said that stories are like road signs and they point somewhere. He hoped his would point to Jerusalem, to the king that is king of all kings, somehow, without being blatantly Christian. Lewis said the same thing. He said, what we don't need is more Christian writers. What we need are writers with their Christianity latent who write great fiction. So I latched a hold of those two guys and I just started praying, Lord, will you let my stories be road signs to Jerusalem? Will you let them, will you allow my words to in in some way reach people in hearts that are either hard or calloused or dinged, or, you know, they've been hurt or wounded and let them, let my words somehow circum circumvent circumnavigate the, the wounded places and let them touch them where they're still tender and they still laugh and still love and still want to forgive. And can you let my stories do that, please? That's been my prayer.
0: Well, I can, I can testify to that, uh, in my, own experience so far reading what I have of yours when you look at the books so I've been on your website looking at the list of books do you see books that contain I'm going to use the word values but those signposts that that matter to you uh, and they all do to a degree have the similar signposts let's say or do you look at them and say in that one that had a particular signpost that I, that you hope came through, that that was your, that was your intent was for that book to have that signpost. And that book has a different signpost.
1: You know, it's interesting when you ask, I don't, when I, when I'm in the, when I'm in the mode of creating the story, I don't necessarily look at it and go, Oh, gee, that that's a signpost. I'm looking at the character and I'm trying to figure out how do I show that this guy loves that woman with all that he is? How do I take this guy? And put him in an impossible situation with a woman that's not his wife, and they are in this plane crash in the middle of nowhere, and nobody knows they're there. And how does he stay faithful to his wife? Can he? Is it even possible? What's that look like? And if I wrote it, if I could write it well enough, at the end of that book, he would still be faithful, and yet the reader would be pulling him to fo- pulling for him to fall to stay in, to stay in love with one woman and fall in love with another. Mm-hmm. So, how do I write that story? For me, that's the process I'm in. It's, it's not so if I don't, I'm stepping back, looking at it here with you and I'm telling you what my prayers are, but when I'm in it, it, I'm, I'm trying to tell a love story. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm just trying to show how like long way gone to some extent, long way gone is my take on the prodigal. Mm-hmm. How do I write this love story about this crazy gifted musician who betrays his father severely, takes everything he has, loses everything. And when he loses everything, he can't come home and he can't face his dad. And what you discover is that before he ever betrayed his dad, his father made a way home for him. How can I tell that story? that was a long way going.
0: That, so that, that brings up is, are your books, I don't know how to ask this. Are they, do you conceive or is your catalyst, is your inspiration initially a story or in, like in that, a concept where you looked at the prodigal son and said, how can I weave that into a story in the way that, Usually a moment,
1: I usually have a daydream or a flash or something that kind of happens back here, kind of outside of my peripheral vision. And it's usually just a picture with long way gone. It wasn't so much. Hey, here's the story of the prodigal in Luke 15. It was the picture of the prodigal feeding the pigs. I mean, he's a Jewish boy working for a pig farmer. That's total apostasy. He could not be any more unclean. And he's feeding them slop. And he's looking at it with an eye towards eating it. For some reason, I just had a picture of that one day going. That's a little bit of a dilemma. Mm-hmm. With send down the rain, you'll maybe you'll get to that one later. I, it involves Vietnam veteran. How the for me the question became once I got to know this character. how does he lay down his life for somebody that hates him or how did he lay down his life for somebody that hates him? And why hasn't he, why hasn't he ever told anyone even after they sent him to prison? So it's, it's really, it goes back to this character. And I see him in this, I see him in this place of broken. I mean, I, you're reading when crickets cry. I, it starts off on the street corner in Clayton, Georgia. Little girl selling lemonade. There's a guy looking at her who knows she needs a heart transplant. I want to know his story. He can help her, and I know he can help her.
0: <clears throat> Don't tell me too much yet. Broken. Something's, yeah. something's, something's happened to him. What is that yeah. something? Yeah, I'm dying to find out. I, you know, when you, when you talk I'm about... Bro- go ahead. One thing, there's yeah. going
1: to come a point in this book that you're reading right now when you hate me and, and, and you're going to want to throw the book in the trash. Okay. My encouragement is just keep reading. Okay. I cannot tell you the number of people that I've had email me and a slew of f- four letter words and threw that book in the trash can. And I would ask them, sir, ma'am, you're welcome. You know, react how, but did you finish the book? And then they would give me some more four letter words and tell me no. And I would just encourage them. It might be worth your time to, and it's been really interesting to read the emails that follow that.
0: I can't imagine. Well, I'll get there. Well, speaking of that then, and, and I, I don't really care to focus on it a, a ton, but you know, I know that you, you, I read somewhere that you had a desire early on or what you know for a book to be made into a movie. And you talk about that very first one option for, for Hallmark. And then um and then obviously with uh the uh the Mountain Between Us. I had seen the cover of the film plenty of times and just never had seen it, had no idea of the connection and then of course get a hold of the uh book, read the book, I just I can't say enough good about it. Um I, I appreciated it so much and then read some of the reviews about the movie from a lot of your readers who were upset with how it panned out and folks listen and I want everybody to hear if uh, if you're going to read the book watch the movie go find, you sent me the link and it was on your blog and it was, I think just titled what I thought about the movie. Is that right? Yeah. what I think about the movie, which yeah. was great. I go, go do that. And it helped me cause we, I read that. Then we did watch, uh, the movie and I was able to do what you kind of attested to. Hey, the book is awesome. The movie, just let it stand alone as a, a, a neat movie. Right. Uh, like we, we were able to do that. and I, I was, my wife was a little, she was a little irked. Um, <laughs> It was interesting, though, because I felt, I I thought, you know, not that we have Hollywood that doesn't, I mean, they plenty of times have movies that, that, uh, well, I was going to say that bombed, this didn't, the movie did fine, but man, I just was perplexed of why they took the meat, you know, take some of the biggest points out of, and I was just wondering why, where did they, cause I have, I mean, I've read a lot of books that have been made into movies and every once in a while, I've always wondered about asking an author, Hey, did you ever see the movie and think, Oh man, that was a better idea than I had, you know, it's got to happen. But on this one, I thought, Hey, I don't understand why they would have done that. I'm I'm sure you had to have found yourself and I know you were disappointed about some of the things that they portrayed in that. But on some of them, did you wonder why did they they really flip flop that whole point that was so weighty It had a lot of gravity in it? And why on earth would they flip that around?
1: One of the things Christy and I and the boys have prayed about a bunch, and I mean that I've created I've created a thousand times. Lord, would you please take my stories and put them on the big screen? I would love to sit in a theater with a bucket of popcorn and my family and watch all of the people in the theater watch the movie based on my book. For some reason, I just think that's kind of a cool translation from one medium to the next, and I'm a big movie goer. So that's been something we've prayed a long time. In 2008-ish, 20th Century Fox called us and optioned the right to the mountain between us. We could not have been more excited. Peter Chernin, David Reddy, Beth Gabler. These are some of the like most accomplished people in Hollywood, and they've done a lot of really great movies. We've seen most all of them. They're phenomenal professionals. This began a really a nine-year process of screenplays, and, and you know it would kind of die and get quiet, and then we'd hear a little bit. And then in about the end of 15 or the first part of 16, they had landed on a screenplay that they, like, or they liked and they had attached Kate Winslet and Idris Elba and Hani Abu Assad to direct. And with that trio, the, the movie kind of took off and they began, you know, sending us details and telling us kind of like, you know, here's we're going to film it in Vancouver and or north of Vancouver. And so we got pretty excited and uh, they invited us up for a day of filming up up in Vancouver, got to meet everybody. Phenomenal experience. Really, I wouldn't. I wouldn't change any of that. It was awesome. We we got to go to the red carpet premiere at the Toronto Film Festival. I mean, like I did. I'm a guy from Northeast Florida. I what am I doing in this theater with three thousand people? I mean, it was just a surreal thing loved all of that the movie is cinematically to this day it's still stunning i think it's one of the most cinematically beautiful movies i've ever seen
0: another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear
1: check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to do's bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app they just didn't stick with my story. And, and I, and I get that I, Hollywood and, and folks that make movies are dealing with a different medium. They're trying to take, you know, 12, 12 or so hours of reading and put it in 120 minutes or 90 minutes or whatever it is. So I get it. it's It's a, there's a translation thing that occurs. And we're, we're going through that. Now the long way gone has been optioned. And so we're going through that screenwriting process now. So I, I understand more of it, but, they just they almost kind of didn't need my book to tell them story that they told in the movie, and there were there were one or two th- three key things in my story that they pulled out that it was kinda like the reason I wrote the book, yeah, 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 and so that was that was hard now, you know that's that's just that's their. I wish it had not happened that way. I would love it had they told my story, but that wasn't what they chose to do. Does that make them evil? No, it just makes them people making movies.
0: Well, and I did pull, I told my family as my, yeah, my wife was a little a little upset with it. I said, you know, when a really cool fruition that you wrote about in the blog was that when the movie came out, the book sold like fire. That was really cool. Yeah, the book hit the. It was on the times list for a couple of weeks. It did sell better. Today,
1: when I send a newsletter, it will be opened in 50 to 60 countries around the world, including a lot of Russia, China, North, South Korea, uh, all over Africa. And that's because they had those two actors with an international presence in that movie. And the movie did. I think the movie did far better internationally than it did here in the States, which is a testimony to the faces they had in the movie. Yeah, it just wasn't it just wasn't my story. Right. That's a. That's a lesson a lot of writers have learned. That was just my time to learn it. Well, will, I, will I do
0: it differently in the future? Sure. That was my next question. So you just said long way home uh, was optioned. And just for people who don't understand what that even means, I, I know in your, I think it was in your blog, you said it's like selling your house. Uh, well, all right. Optioning it is
1: like renting it with an option to buy. Okay. So when you option it, you you, you give the rights to someone And they are basically leasing them for an 18 to 36 months or something like that. When they, when they begin, when the train gets in motion to film the movie, they have script director actors, and they're set towards photography. That triggers the option and option is selling your house. And at that point, the new owner, can move in just the way you left it with your furniture and soap in the shower and just be just how you live there. Or they can bring in a bulldozer and they can bulldoze your 200 year old family estate to the ground, remove the foundation. And you have no say because you've sold it.
0: So are you doing it differently with long way home? (sighs) Yes. And it's been cool the way that's panned out. Um, reserve
1: entertainment is run by a guy named Darren Morton Mormon Darren lives in and around Hollywood um he's been in this game about 20 something years he's made some great movies he came to me after he had read Long Way Gone and said I'd love to put your story on the screen and I said well we kinda, could we kind of could we kind of talk about that and maybe define how you see my story and we had a fantastic afternoon and um Darren is just a a neat guy and kind of has become a like a a brother from the other side of the continent and what I what I was left with and what I'm still left with today is his desire to sort of guard the story and this he feels like the story is good enough and the story will translate to the screen so how do we guard that the the tension is how do you write a screenplay that accomplishes what the book did or can you and I think there's some ways that you can but look it is it is difficult to take You know, 10 plus hours and put it in two. Plus, it's a visual experience primarily, not a, you know, it's visual and auditory, not just simply something that you read. So, yes, we've gone about it differently. Um, Darren and I have had some really frank conversations. I feel like his heart is to guard the story we're in the middle or are are in the middle of writing the screenplay they have a really great screenwriter uh who's working on it as we speak i i've actually talked with him and he's asked me like he asked me questions about what i was thinking when i did this or what was i hoping to accomplish and so it's just a very different process it's just it's 180 degrees different than the first time we went around this
0: do you have it in mind now when you're writing a book that with the desire to have this as a movie, does it alter any of your storytelling to maybe make it a little more palatable for the screen? That's a great question.
1: I don't know, I don't know that I would know how to do that because I've not written a screenplay, I've not produced a movie, I've I've not painted that canvas. I I don't, I really, I don't know how to, I don't know how to do that. So I don't, if it's altered the way I do story, I don't, I'm not cognizant of it. Mm -hmm.
0: Your latest book, which I wasn't even aware of till recently, came out in May, 2020, the water keeper. And I saw that on your website and I, I am ble- I, I've got a bunch of kids, <clears throat> got some older ones now. And I have had, uh, I have had them testify, write things that a couple of times I said, guys, I, I just, if tomorrow's my last day, just thank you. Thank you what your son Charlie wrote yeah. and I'll direct everybody to go to your website. I'll, I'll put that in the intro and whatnot. Uh, but what he wrote as a review to your book, but a testimony to you as a father and, and a man, you got to have felt like that. I, I, you're, yeah, I mean, what a, that was powerful. I um, that was a gift.
1: I, yes. I, I'm not a big consumer of social media. Uh, And it's primarily a time thing. And uh, I've got all I can handle in this keyboard. And so for me to take this thing and start adding, I just don't have the time for it. And I don't make time for it. And so I woke up the morning that came out and all my friends are emailing me. Hey, did you see Charlie's review? And I have no idea what they're talking about.
0: Where did he put it? Where was the review? I
1: I think he put it on Instagram. Oh, okay. And or I, I think so. I honestly, I don't remember, but what happened was my publisher liked it so much. They picked it up and they went into the description in, in Amazon and ordinarily where you tell the, about the story, yeah. you know, and you write something, you know, whatever they just deleted all that. And they put Charlie's review in there and that's amazing. And I read it and I was just number one, Charlie's a really good writer. He's probably a, He's not probably, he is a better writer at his age now than I was at his age. And so for him to be able to put all that together and to say all those things, and I just loved it. I mean, I, I did, I, like you said, just a minute ago, you know, if I get hit by a truck tomorrow and
0: that, that was today, I'm good. Lord, you can, I'm good. Yeah. The um, yeah, that's, that's, I, I was just looking it up on, on Amazon uh, with I read What If It's True. I actually didn't know that it was not fiction. I just told my family, give me a bunch of the books for. I read this one book. I like them. Give me a bunch of books for uh, Father's Day. I think they got three or four or five. I, I don't know. And uh, didn't realize that it was nonfiction. And I think that I read that you have another nonfiction book as well. Or is that well, I have the sequel to that one coming out. Okay. I've written, I've written the follow up to What If It's True. Okay. Okay. Is that, where are you going? What, what, how much of a focus is that now is nonfiction? Is that something you're, again, we're talking about influence and I'd say now you've got some, is that the, now you have the ability to. Here's, here's where that came from. I'm, I'm
1: 50 when I was about, I've, I've taught even through college and I, I taught Bible studies, or I would bring guys together and we'd pray, and we'd go through books, be it wild at heart or whatever. And but about 15 years ago, I started this Bible study, and like it was a, it became like the second half of my life, like teaching the word, or spending <laughs> spending time with it, or in ministry. Like it just became my life. So I have like these two parts of me. I have this part that you know, public Charles that, that writes books and you see him on the shelf. And then this ministry side where I, I love, I love showing, showing people Jesus through scriptures. I mean, I just walking them up there. And so I sort of have these two parts and they didn't all that, they didn't seem all that well connected. I mean, if you read my fiction, I think there's a pretty good chance that you'll get the sense that, gee, I think this guy's a believer. At least I hope that's the case, but it's never like been this, you know, let me smack you over the head with it. Yeah. About, well, I was working on Long Way Gone. I was working on the manuscript for Long Way Gone. So that's been three books ago now. I'm sitting in this very chair. And I just had this thought while I was typing. I I mean, and it became this conversation with the Lord. I'm like, Lord, I have a hard drive full of teachings, but they're not necessarily like teachings like I hear at church. And I'm not knocking church. I just... A lot of them are story driven, and they're just different. And I feel like they communicate you in a way that, like, is palatable. I've seen I've seen this stuff work. I've seen you work through these things in people's lives. Could you could could I push pause on my fiction? Would you Would you orchestrate it so I could push pause on my fiction? And would you let me write the story of you and me? And let me just let me try and tell these stories. And I don't know what that'll look like, but I, would you do that? And so. Christy and I were then a couple weeks later, driving through Nashville on the way to Colorado. And I had lunch with my publisher and I said to Daisy, I just told her exactly what I just told you. And I began telling her about the stories. And in five minutes she was hooked. It was the easiest publishing contract I've ever gotten. Hmm. She said, yes, let's do it. So I, you know, she gave me permission at the time she was publishing both or publishing, she was publishing my fiction and then she would help me publish my nonfiction. So I pushed pause. I wrote that book. And it, it, it it's not a it's not an also played. It's not a also ran. It's it's somehow my brain thinks equally in these two directions. And I I very much think story and novels. And I have no intention of quitting. But, you know, after What If It's True came out, Daisy said, do you have any more nonfiction? I said, well, I've already kind of outlined the sequel because. After Jesus ascends off the Mount of Olives, about 120 people walk down that hill with one question on their minds, Mm -hmm. which is, what on earth do we do now? And then they spend their lives answering that question. And I would like to show the story from that moment on through about Acts 17, where Paul and Silas walk into Thessalonica, and they are described as they who have turned the world upside down. And these are people that are describing these two little guys as having upended the power of wrong. Yeah. Can I, so, you know, Daisy, will you let me do that? And she said, yeah. So the nonfiction is not like a, I mean, I don't know what will come up next. I'm just, I've literally just finished final edits this week on they turn the world upside down. So do I have any nonfiction in my brain right this minute? No, I'm pretty well spent, but. What will the Lord do come January? I have no idea, but I don't have any intention of not writing anymore. I'd love to. I've always said I want to write 50 books. I I have no desire of stopping short of 50. Mm -hmm. What those look like? I don't know.
0: What who you mentioned, C.S. Lewis and Walker Percy, any specific. Obviously, the Bible sounds like it's top of the list, but from other authors, but even film, uh, you know, filmmakers that are have been consistent sources of inspiration for you. Honestly,
1: since I started publishing, I'm not a huge reader. I mean, I read scripture a lot. Okay, but outside of that, I have to be pretty intentional. My reason is this. I spend eight plus hours a day here, you know, looking at this thing. And by the time I get to where I might want to read something, I either I look at it and I go, well, I can either read scripture, which kind of, you know, is (laughs) Jeremiah said, your words were found by me and I ate them and they became the joy of my delight and my dancing. I mean, I really do love his words, so I have that or I can go read something else and something else is Like I have to really want to read it. So I'm not a big, huge reader, but over the course of my life, like I loved Tolkien before Jackson made him otherworldly popular. I read the Narnia stuff. I loved Tolkien more than the Narnia stuff. I love Lewis's nonfiction probably more than his fiction. Um, Till We Have Faces is one of my favorite books. Percy was instrumental to me. When I was growing up, Louis L'Amour, I mean, I still, like right here to my right are about 50 of Louis L'Amour's books. And granted, they were just dime store you know, Western novels, but the thing that he did was the same thing Hemingway did and Steinbeck, which was their economy of words was so great. And what I mean by that is this, they could say in six words what it would take most of us about 15 or 18 to say And they figured out like Cormac McCarthy is to this day, he's the man when it comes to the least amount of words and the most amount of like impact. And so I, I gravitated toward people who didn't put in a whole lot of filler and fluff and, you know, Stephen King, he and I are very different writers, but he's one of our finest living writers. And if you read his stuff, there's not a whole lot you can cut. I mean, it means what it means. So, I don't know. Those those folks became significant to me. Just how do I say the most with the without running you around sort of like this long through this maze of words in order to tell you, kind of show you what it
0: means? It's interesting you say that, because that's I'm sure it's a primary reason I like your books. I I'm not very patient with the details and I'll skim. To get to the next dialogue, the next point, and I don't skim your your books. So you're literally writing pretty every day. You always have something. This isn't a, a a lull that happens. I mean, you're always so. You just had one come out. Well, I say that Waterkeeper just came out. Of course, you probably finished it a year, two years ago. I usually I finish a book a year before y'all
1: see it on the shelf. Okay. I've just finished the the Waterkeeper is the first installment in a trilogy. Oh, so that I've just finished the sequel to that. So it's now, what was that? August, that book will come out next May. So that's, you know, 10 months, something like Mm -hmm. that, nine months. But that engine is kind of already in motion and they knew what was coming. So they were working on that prior to me finishing. But it's usually about a year between clicking send to my publisher. And when you all see it on the shelf.
0: I mean, you're an author, but I mean, you are not, but, you are flat out an entrepreneur. You own your own, own your own business. You get up in the morning. You decide what needs to be done. Uh, so whether you're an entrepreneur or, or a plumber that owns your own thing, I mean, that's, it's just a machine that you've got to get up and run every morning. Yes. One of the, if Christy were sitting here, one of the things <clears throat> she would tell me that I'm good at is I've always been really self-driven. That's yeah. never,
1: that's never been a problem for me. I, I love the challenge of that. So being a writer who works for himself. And I mean, books don't write themselves. I show up every day to a white page. Every writer does somehow or another, they have to get done. And we have deadlines and some people are, you know, they see a deadline as a negative thing. I think it's one of the greatest things in the world because it means somebody wants your book. Hmm. It just means you got to get it finished by then. So I've never really looked at myself as an entrepreneur. I guess, definitionally, maybe I am. I know entrepreneurs that are far better at entrepreneuring than me, but I also know that I'm really good at 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 taking one task to completion. And that's kind of what you have to do. If you're going to write books, you have to figure out how to begin it and end it. There are a lot of folks who begin and then they, you know, they, they never get to the end somehow or another. I've found a way to get to the end. I've said this a lot. I'm a, I'm a much better rewriter than I am writer and I sweat my books far more than I write them. Meaning I'm just good at showing up. I mean, it, I really, I am, I'm good at just getting in this chair. And and if I have to gut it out, it, I, I just gut it out. Writer's block is a real thing. I didn't used to think that. And then came long way gone. And then came send down the rain. And, and then came the sequel to the water keeper and, all I know, all I know how to do is gut and
0: pray my way through writer's block. You know, I have a question right on, <clears throat> right on that, but it's so good for the habit show. I'm going to save it. So I'm going <laughs> to, I'm, I'm going to jump there. So, so everybody listening to this show. You're going to have to wait two more shows, uh, just like you wait for sequels to, uh, Charles books to hear, cause I want to ask about that, but I want to get into your routines and your habits, man. It is, I, I could ask so many, uh, questions but that is intriguing it is intriguing again just like music writing my friends that do that and uh you know we've all got our skills and abilities but what you do is uh it's intriguing to me i'm enamored by it and ultimately i'm just grateful uh thank you for doing what you do for grinding it out when you have to uh following the lord for inspiration so that we get that inspiration i've been inspired my family has it's it's sparked conversations and it will more as we go through and read them so again, as I started off with, thank you.
1: Look, I'm grateful. I'm, I love it. I love I, I love it when people read my stories, and I'm thankful that they do. I've had some people say some phenomenal things mm-hmm. that I never had a girl walk up to me in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, and lay my book down and say, your book walked me out of suicide. Wow. So I... And that's not the only time it's ever been. And I'm not saying I'm not telling you that to like pump me up. I'm just telling you with gratitude that I am thankful the Lord has allowed me to do this and that somehow or another these words are doing kind of what, the, what I pray. Well, mean.
0: as one of my best friends says, thanks. Thank you for the Jesus in you uh, that does <laughs> what you do. So I'll, 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 I'll give you that. Thank you, Charles. Friends, I hope you got as much from this talk with Charles as I have. Uh, Again, you can find all of his books and everything he's doing at charlesmartinbooks.com or again, just type Charles Martin into Amazon or wherever you get your books and you will find him everywhere. Do yourself a favor. Try one of his stories. Be inspired, encouraged, entertained, and truly, truly moved. Coming up in episode 830, who to share your goals with? Should you keep your goals and aspirations secret? Should you share them with just everyone, anyone? In this episode, I play a two minute clip from Zig Ziglar where he gives us two types of goals and who we will be best served to share them with and why. Then I posted this question to the Ziglar audience. Do you share your goals and aspirations with anyone? Why and why not? And if you do, who? loads of responses that of course range from, you know, share it with everybody to nobody and why. It's an important issue as there is great value in sharing our goals and aspirations with the right people. And Tom Ziegler and I will address that. Why? What is the value? Uh, But you also got to be judicious in who it is. So we're going to cover that as well. Till then folks, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.